Hi there, welcome to another MLEX podcast. My name is James Paniki. I'm MLEX's Australasian Managing Editor, and I'm coming to you from our offices in Melbourne, Australia. Now, the next time that you reach for your Apple or Samsung smartphone, take a very good look at what appears on your screen. The grid of icons is known as GUI, a graphical user interface, and the idea behind that look is worth a lot of money. At least that's the take-home message of the Marathon US court case that's been unfolding for years now over Apple's charges that Samsung infringed its patents for the shape of the iPhone and, more importantly, the grid of software icons on its screen. And now, at the end of a five-day trial and several days of jury deliberation, a court has agreed with Apple and has told Samsung to pay the US tech company over half a billion dollars. That's not to say that it's been a walk in the park for Apple, with the jury finding the technical details of the case overwhelming. And if that wasn't enough, the case is now likely to go to an appeal. Our chief global digital risk correspondent is Mike Swift, and he works out of Silicon Valley, as does Amy Miller, MLEX's senior correspondent for privacy and security, who was there for a few of the key moments of that trial. Amy, Mike, great to speak to you both. Hello, James. Hi, James. Mike, it's obviously a complicated case, so let's start from the take-home piece of news and work our way back from that. Samsung must pay Apple a record $538 million for infringing three design patents. It's half of what Apple had been asking for, so is it still a win for Apple? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, After the first trial, the jury awarded damages of about $399 million just for the design patents. So any number greater than that would have meant, meant uh, uh, another win for Apple. And, and that that's the case here. It basically means that Samsung has to write a check probably for about another $140 million over and above what it's already done. So it, it definitely is a victory for Apple. And assuming that all of this holds up to appeal, this is the largest fine of its kind for a patent violation. What are the implications there? Well, that remains to be seen. Um, There's really some difference between experts as to whether um, the size of this award could be an incentive for um, patent trolls to start filing abusive litigation that would just try and, you know, scare defendants into settling. And, uh, you know, it, it's not clear whether that'll happen. Uh, we interviewed one expert who said no way, and then we interviewed some others who said, well, it could happen. So that remains to be seen, but that that is theoretically a threat. Mike, given the result, do you think there are any particularly significant pieces of evidence that might have shaped the jury's verdict? And if so, what were they? Well, one thing that really struck me that, um, and you know, just sort of watching the jury when I could and, and just watching from the courtroom was, um, you know, the key issue here was whether the um, damages award would be based on whether the article of manufacture was the full phone or whether it was a component. And one thing Samsung did is they uh, basically severed the face off of a, a of a smartphone and they waved that around in front of the jury. And, you know, I, I think that um, that may have had a, an impact because when the verdict came down, uh, the jury basically said that, yeah, we, we saw that the the uh, face could be cons- could be considered separately from the whole phone, and and, and I think that um, piece of evidence may that argument that Samsung made definitely carried weight with the jury, but it may also have um, 
hurt their cause in, in the long run. Mike, when you say they severed the face, did they literally pull out a face with wires dangling and hold that up in front of the jury? Is that what happened? No, no. It was almost like they had kind of like um, sort of shaved the front off of a screen. So uh, several times during the trial, uh, the lawyers for Samsung, uh, John Quinn or William Price, would sort of hold up this very uh, basically just this wafer thin piece of the, the front of a smartphone. It was basically just the glass window and the little piece of plastic around that. And you could see it was a very insubstantial thing. You know, it only weighed a few ounces the way they were holding it in two fingers. And, um, you know, I think they were trying to suggest to the jury that, hey, this is just this insubstantial piece of almost nothing that cost Apple just a few bucks to make. And, you know, it shouldn't shouldn't be the basis for a billion dollar damages uh, finding. And for those who missed out on our first podcast on this very trial, can you just remind us uh, of what we're talking about when we mention the article of manufacture? Because that test was really central and it was a very difficult one for the jury to grapple with. Yeah, so in the United States, um, design patents cover... Um, the appearance and shape of a product, but they don't cover the function of a product. And up until the Supreme Court rendered a decision in 2016 that found otherwise, uh, the article of manufacture, which is the basis for damages, was always presumed to be the full and complete product. But the Supreme Court said something different. They said, no, in a complex product like a smartphone, the article of manufacture can be the whole phone or it can be just the patented component. And so that was what the jury had to decide in this case. They had to use a very arcane four-factor test, which had been proposed by the United States Solicitor General to decide what the article of manufacture was. And that decision was really the crux of, of their decision. Now, Amy, you had a chance to interview the jurors after the verdict was read in court last Thursday. That's something that those of us in common law countries always find a bit crazy, given that we're not allowed to go anywhere near the jurors uh, before or after a trial. It, it's simply uh, not on, but it's it's fine in the US. What did you take away from those interviews? What uh, What emerged? Well, uh, the jurors were clearly uh, struggling with what an article, the article of manufacture is. Um, they particularly struggled over one patent in particular, the D677 patent, which claims the design for the front face of an iPhone. Um, they were almost a hung jury on that issue, and, and I believe that uh, the jury ultimately agreed with Samsung that the article of manufacture in that case was the component. Um, but what I got the sense of is that they were almost a hung jury over that. There had been a mysterious hearing that morning when everyone had been called into the courtroom, and uh, we were thinking, uh-oh, you know, what's, what's it, if it's a verdict, you know, they would say it's a verdict, so it must be something else, something must be going wrong. And then the judge uh, kicked everybody out of the courtroom and sealed it, and then we knew something important was happening. And you could sort of peek through the windows and see the Apple lawyers sort of huddling in a corner from time to time, and they all came out looking looking very unhappy, uh, not looking at anybody, really, when they walked out. And um, so when the jurors came out, they were very clearly uh, divided on that issue, and, and they were telling the lawyers. It, it's a bit of a frenzy when the jurors come out between the reporters and the lawyers trying to get a few minutes with the jury to find out what happened. Um, but the, the general consensus they were giving everyone was that it was just very confusing between the terms and the definitions, and it was all very fluid 
moving around and, and really getting their head around it was, was very difficult. And I, I think they made that clear to the lawyers. So, Amy, what you're telling me is that they were actually finding the the detail, the uh, the substance of what they had to consider very confusing, was just really a, a complex technical issue that they were struggling to get their heads around, right? They were struggling with the test, less so the patents and what the patents covered, and, and more so what this four-part article of manufacturer test was. It, it was just uh, too, too complicated for them. And the young woman that I spoke to, um, made it clear that they were almost a hung jury. Uh, she said, you know, we were almost a hung jury until we found out that we had to come to a decision. And someone said, well, well, who was the holdout? And she said, well, it was me. So <laughs> we found out her just admitting it. Okay, now, Mike, why was this loss a particularly painful one for Samsung, other than obviously han- having to write a check at some stage? Why was this significant for the company? Well, Samsung was hoping that they would only have to pay 28 million, you know, just a just a pittance, you know, in Samsung's world. And uh, in fact, uh, they were a long way from that in, in the end. But, you know, they had just won a really significant victory uh, from the United States Supreme Court, you know, which basically said, you know, this article of manufacture doesn't necessarily have to be the whole phone. And um, that presumption that it was the whole phone was really the whole basis uh, for the gigantic uh, award that Apple got in the first place. So, you know, they basically had this this huge win from the United States Supreme Court under their belt as they went into this case. And, you know, they um, had reason to believe that even though they hadn't been successful uh, in the previous trials, that this time would be different because all they had to prove was that the jury should look at the parts rather than the sum of the parts uh, to, to value a phone. And the jury didn't see things that way at all. And uh, so that had to have been a very uh, bitter, bitter pill for Samsung to swallow. What about the court itself? I mean, over the seven-year history of this case, uh, it seems that Apple has always won uh, in a trial court in Silicon Valley, whereas Samsung has fared much better before the appeals court in Washington, D.C., both in the U.S. Court of Appeals and the Federal Circuit and the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Are there uh, any theories as to why this might be? Well, you know, I think it's it's a couple of things. I mean, one is you, you just can't discount uh, sort of the power of... Um, of Apple's brand, you know, here in Silicon Valley. It's just something which is central to life here. I mean, um, if you uh, live around here for any period of time, you're probably going to meet people that work for Apple. It's just such a a revered company in in this area. You know, it's obviously a very popular brand worldwide, but uh, nowhere more so than here. And, and, uh, you know, these jurors are are drawn from the ranks of everyday life around here. And I, I think you can't discount the you know, the, the sway and the, the prestige that Apple has in their eyes. And, um, you know, the other thing is, um, and, and Amy maybe can speak to this a bit more, but um, when she interviewed uh, the jurors, they were saying that they really liked the job that Apple's trial team did, that, uh, yes. um, you know, they, they found their arguments to be really accessible and, and Samsung's arguments not so much so. Yeah, one jury even went as far as to say that uh, Apple was the good cop and, and Samsung was sort of the bad cop when it came to explaining things to the jury. 
that was very telling. <laughs> so, Mike, this means that the next legal step in the process, which is the appeal, I mean, it, it really comes down to where that appeal will be heard. Is it going to be uh, in Silicon Valley again? No, it won't be. It'll be uh, filed with the United States Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit. And one interesting thing I noticed uh, during the trial was that Kathleen Sullivan, who has been, uh, who's a very prominent appellate lawyer in the United States, one of the most prominent in the country, I think everyone would agree, was sitting in the front row every single day. She never spoke. She generally didn't confer very much with the lawyers who were running the case, but she really seemed to be hanging on every word. And uh, I couldn't help but think that, uh, you know, she was uh, sort of looking for her opportunities for uh, where the appeal would be filed and, you know, what her inevitable arguments on the appeal would be. Mike, on a, on a much broader sense, what does this change other than obviously empowering the uh, patent trolls that might be out there ready to go now? But does this change the way in which uh, these phone companies will be doing business? Has it changed the landscape in a significant way? I don't think it, it, it does necessarily signal a great change in the landscape. I mean, um, if you look back at sort of what the net effect of all the, this litigation and these um, tens of millions of dollars in lawyer legal fees that have been spent, I mean, you still have, you know, the top, uh, uh, the top smartphone makers in the world are Samsung, Apple, and now uh, Huawei. Um, so, you know, and Samsung is still number one. So you can't really say that, uh, that uh, this, this case has really uh, reworked the order of things. But, um, you know, it, it certainly has provided, besides the money for Apple, has provided affirmation for their argument that, uh, you know, what they were doing was revolutionary in terms of its uh, design and um, that they deserve the credit for that. And that's something they appear to take very seriously and to be very important for the company's leadership. Okay, Mike and Amy, it's been a fantastic uh, 12 or so years. So thank you for all of your efforts. Uh, and we'll speak, uh, speak to you again very, very soon. You're welcome. We used to be much younger at the start of this trial. So. <laughs> this case, thank rather. You. Thanks, James. <laughs> Mike Swift is MLEX's Chief Global Digital Risk Correspondent. Amy Miller is MLEX's Senior Correspondent for Privacy and Security. Both have been working on MLEX's excellent coverage of the trial of the century. No doubt patent trolls are now passing every word that our two reporters have been writing on this particular case. And you can check out some of Mike and Amy's coverage by logging on to mlexmarketinsight.com. That's mlexmarketinsight.com and by going to our Insights Centre. I'm James Paniki, MLEX's Australasian Managing Editor, and for the entire MLEX team around the globe, thank you very much for your company. See you soon. Bye for now.